Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Professor Selena Sandifer-Doss is our guest today on the Think Humanities podcast. Professor Doss is an associate professor of history at Western Kentucky University, teaching courses on the African diaspora, American history, as well as a number of courses on African-American slavery. In the spring of 2020, she was the recipient of a fellowship from the Lapidus Center for Historical Analysis of Transatlantic Slavery for her project, which is going to eventually turn into a book, which we're delighted to hear and uh, probably takes a little bit more work. And we're also very proud to say to all of you that she is a, uh, a new member of the Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. Professor Doss, uh, thanks for joining us today from your home in Portland, Tennessee, although you're teaching at Western, but because of the uh, pandemic, uh, you're still remotely teaching from, uh, from Tennessee. So it, we're so glad to have you not only on the board, but as a guest on the program today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell me about your, um, your work, and, and we're going to talk about a number of things today, but your scholarship, and uh, you've kind of kept a, kept a secret from me, although we've talked a couple of times. You didn't tell me about spending last spring in, in Harlem, New York, and uh, the work that you were doing up there. Um, uh, so many of our uh, scholars, our speakers bureau, our, uh, our friends, uh, love to do research and work and really dig deeply critical think about a, a particular subject. And you got to do that last spring. So tell me about, uh, first of all, let's just start there and tell me about your uh, the work that you're doing uh, on your thesis, on, on your which you hope to, to be a book, and the work that you did last spring uh, in, in Harlem. Sure. Uh, yeah, um well, I've been working on this book for, wow, close to a decade now, I have to say. I started it in graduate school. It was my dissertation topic. And um, I came to the topic. I was taking courses at Vanderbilt, and um, we were studying about Black nationalism uh, and slavery, Af- African-American life, uh, the diaspora slave uh, rebellions, revolutions in the Caribbean, and um, certain characteristics that were consistent in a lot of these movements, such as solidarity, uh, armed resistance, um, a Black church. Uh, I noticed those things taking place um, in Georgia, early revolutionary era Georgia. And a lot of the focus on Black nationalism was uh, or has been placed in the north. Um, you may have heard about 20th century movements like Marcus Garvey, and uh, which took place in Harlem, but spread throughout uh, throughout the north and throughout the south as well. Um, even earlier, uh, the 
kind of seat of African-American culture and nationalism in a lot of ways was placed among Northern free Blacks in the antebellum period. But I was so intrigued because I was seeing these things in revolutionary um, era Georgia in the 1780s, the 1790s, um, among formerly enslaved people who had allied with the British um, for uh, political freedom, for freedom, but also for uh, economic freedom. And I thought about refocusing um, Black nationalism, the idea of um, not only a Black nation, but it could be a Black town, a Black uh, separate community. I'm refocusing that and uh, situating it in the South. And so when I began on that journey, I started in the revolutionary period, but I quickly moved to the antebellum period, to the post-Civil War period. And in each time, I found different movements, different um, manifestations of this ideology. And so that's how I really got started. And so I've written a few articles on it, one on um, Black separatist movements in Tennessee and looked at movements in the um, antebellum era and also in the post-Civil War era, going to places like Kansas and forming Black settlements there, uh, like Nick Nicodemus, some leaders like Pap Singleton. Um, and then uh, looking at the strategies that enslaved and free Blacks, uh, formerly enslaved people, used to um, gain support uh, because in the South there were limitations, uh, more so in the North than to what you can do because of um, really the draconian racial in, in environment. So I looked at how they gained support and also how they um, warded off repression. And so that's been a book project. And that's what I was doing in uh, Harlem at the Schomburg Library Center. And it was a great experience. Now, I consider myself a Southerner, um, uh, a, histor a historian of the South, a historian of slavery. And I think I feel most comfortable in the South. But I was pleasantly surprised uh, how much I enjoyed Harlem and uh, where I was um, in central Harlem, it really felt like a, like a com community. And, um, I got to know the little bodegas around my block and, uh, I would walk to the library every day. I had my daughter with me, so I would walk to the babysitter and I really got to know my route. And, um, I, I'm, I missed it and I do miss, miss it there. So, uh, it was a great experience where I got time to really focus on uh, the revising my dissertation in these chapters. And I got a pretty good um, head start on a couple of chapters. So hopefully in the next year or two, that'll be coming out. What was it like? Um, you, you met with an, with a group, uh, social distanced um on occasion uh, each week. What, what, tell me about uh, the impression that you had with the other scholars that you were associated with. Uh, they, they weren't, uh, as I understand, all uh, historians. I mean, they were from different disciplines. Uh, what was it like for you to be in, in class again with, um, 
with those good folks? Uh, it was an awesome experience. It reminded me a lot about or it reminded me of grad school and when we used to do graduate sem seminars and talk about our own work. Let me say that they were very encouraging. And um, no matter where a scholar was um, in their work, uh, progression-wise, if, if it was in the formative phases or if it was uh, final and just doing some ed edits, um, they were very helpful in their, um, in their uh, suggestions and comments. And the director of the scholars program, Brent Edwards, was especially helpful too. He always, each week, never failed to have insightful comments and ask um, probing questions. They got you to think a little, little deeper. And you're right, it was made up of all types of scholars um, that make up the hu humanities. We had um, art historians, a lot of English uh, people, lit literature people, a couple of historians, but I enjoyed the diversity of the group because it reminded me of, it, it kind of took me out of my historian's box. Sometimes you get so used to the big theories and authors within your own discipline, you may uh, forget about the connections with others. So um, being around uh, those English scholars really reminded me not to be afraid to put a little bit, not too much, but emotion in my writing. And uh, um, some sometimes uh, they they were really receptive to to times I introduced theory into my writing, which is not always a huge um, a huge uh, area in in his history. So I really enjoyed um, being able to explore different avenues within my writing. And I think that was definitely because I was around those such, such, such a diverse group. Define for me Black nationalism. Um, black nationalism, it's a it's broadly defined. It It can be broadly defined. It's a term that has many different facets. Uh, it's kind of an umbrella term. So within Black nationalism, you can have the idea of a Black nation state, which could be uh, an independent nation like Liberia. It could be also an uh, independent region or town. It doesn't always have to be a nation. Um, it can also be more of a um, artistic affirmation of black culture, of black sol solidarity. So uh, black, um, a kind of affirming of black aesthetics, black culture, uh, black way of life within that. Um, you can also have black nationalism in different types of institutions, be it economic or education. So a Black nationalist type of um, outlook towards uh, economics, for instance, you could look at people like Booker T. Washington, who advocated for uh, Black-owned businesses, Blacks to be 
business owners, but also um, clientele uh, to purchase from Black businesses and the independent type of um, ec economic sustainability outside of um, a white pa patronage and also another uh, I'm I'm a little bit of I'm a big fan of a book Booker T. T Washington so I'll use him for the education example as well so when you think of um, black nationalists in education you could think of separate black institutions of higher learning black schools like HBCUs so it involves a type of independence, a type of separateness, and a type of affirmation that um, collectively it could embody ideas like political Black nationalism, the formation of a separate nation, um, economic, a separate Black economy, education, but also an affirming of kind of Blackness and solidarity. So it's it's kind, kind of complicated, but I particularly look at it in its uh, political man manifestation. So, uh, Professor Doss, the, the opposite of Black nationalism then would be a, a society where the choice is not made by the by the African American to either live there or be believe in that philosophy, or am I incorrect about that? In other words, why is Liberia an example of Black nationalism when I, 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 there were probably Blacks who wanted? to return to Africa, to, to their homeland, but there were many that, that were sent there or that were being discussed about being sent there that probably chose not, not to go. Or am I incorrect about that? All Afri African-Americans don't espouse Black nas nationalist I ideologies, and it definitely is a choice. So the idea of forming separate institutions, a separate nation, in some ways, it can um, corroborate some some racist type of re rhetoric, where as things like segregation or exclusion, um, especially in the in the South, and it's 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 weird how at times uh, those it can o overlap. I remember. Um, famous meeting where Marcus Garvey uh, had met with KKK leaders or thought about that. And even um, in the South, you had uh, slave owners, slave holders who were advocates of colonization, of removing free Blacks, especially um, to places like Liberia with the idea that they... Uh, that free Blacks posed a potential threat to slavery. So at the same time within the colonization movement in the antebellum period, you had slaveholders. Um, you also had abolitionists who thought that removing um, or allowing an avenue of for enslaved people to leave the country would prompt enslavers to free them more read readily because that free black um, so-called threat would no longer be there. 
With that being said, there were plenty of Black Americans who didn't advocate uh, separate rating. The idea that, um, of course, the United States, that America was their homeland just as much as in anywhere else, or that um, the best policy of attaining rights, attaining equality, is not to separate oneself. Uh, There is no difference um, between... uh, art or aesthetic, um, but uh, integrating, um, assimilating, going to the same schools, uh, having or sharing the same businesses and spaces uh, is is also uh, conducive to equality, if not even more so, um, a better strategy for a, a attaining those goals. So Black nationalists were in a lot of ways the minority. And in the South, advocates, um, enslaved free Blacks, formerly enslaved people who wanted to go to Liberia, who supported the American colonization society, were always in the minority. They were never in the majority. I think that's kind of what you were. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, Give us a a brief uh, history lesson on uh, the colonization movement to Liberia, uh, the the organization and and, and Liberia itself. Um, The the key players, um, the the numbers, um, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, with Liberia, too, you also have the formation of Sierra Leone. Um, this movement of colonization and uh, sometimes the um, words colonization and immigration are used interchangeably. I borrow from uh, Eric Burren who uh, wrote a book on the American colonization society and his differentiation of the terms colonization is usually going to an organization started or mostly he- headed by whites at advocating for blacks to form uh, se- separate in independent set settlements, whereas immigration movements uh, would be mostly he- headed by blacks and or organized by, by blacks. So sometimes those uh, words are used in interchangeably. But during the abolition movement really starting in the late uh, 18th century, 17, 70s, 80s, 90s, and up into the early 19th century. Um, different strategies of how to end slavery. And so I'm, and there are different views about colonization, again, because both enslavers and abolitionists made up its members. I'm of the camp that think that uh, colonizationists were kind of conservative abolitionists for for the most part. Um, but again, that's that's a whole another discourse. Uh, the British um, were the first uh, they had a group called the Black Poor in England, um, a few hundred Blacks uh, who had come there from different regions of Africa, from different uh, places in the empire, but were poor, um, 
discriminated against. And uh, the first attempts at um, resettling this group along with um, uh, <clears throat> formerly enslaved people were going to be in uh, the British colony of Sierra Leone. You have people like Thomas Clarkson, uh, John Clarkson, Granville Sharp, who were abolitionists in England that um, advocated for the end of the slave trade. And so after um, the trade is abolished in England, not in its co colonies, they go on a mission to intercept slave trade trading ships. This is in 1807. The United States also abolishes the international trade. So um, you still have these internal slave trades and uh, dom dom domestic slavery, but no longer going to Africa to get slaves. So that's the first step in ab abolition. And so a lot of them uh, that were recaptured Africans from these slave ships would be resettled in C Sierra Le Leone. And so this became the first uh, kind of Black nationalist colony. And so during the American Re Revolution, you know, the United States colonies were British colonies. And so people like uh, Lord Dun Dunmore um, in an effort to win the war made the call to uh, enslave people, their Af African uh, sub subjects, if you will come uh, and aid the Brit British side, you will be free. And also a little later with the understanding you'll also be granted land and so black southerners um particularly in the south uh places like south carolina georgia took them up on his offer and you have um the book of negroes that records the names of a lot of these uh escaped fugitive slaves and free blacks who uh went with the British um, initially to Nova Scotia as the war was ending. They evacuated places like Charleston and Savannah, initially going to Nova Scotia, another British colony to try um, to not only be free, but to become independent landowners. Well, there was slavery still in Nova Scotia, uh, small, of course, not as extensive as in the South, but it was there and there was also discrimination. And so uh, the idea of people um, uh, decided, well, maybe we can also try um, C Sierra Le Leone. Uh, this is a colony in Africa um, made especially for Black people where we can be free of this discrimination that we're still facing within the British Empire. So people like Thomas Peters, who was born in the American colonies in the South, who fought during the war, who went to Nova Scotia, uh, goes to Britain and advocates to um, have the Black Nova Scotians uh, and move to C Sierra Leone. So the British were the first to try this idea out. The American manifestation is Liberia, and it begins in the 1820s, and it has um, people, big names like um, Francis Scott Key or Bushrod Washington, who made up its uh, initial board. And um, 
with the same idea, intent. So in a lot of ways, Liberia was kind of the stepchild colony of the United States. The United States didn't have official colonies in Africa. And Liberia won't be recognized as um, a country until after the Civil War because of political reasons. But it always had a strong connection. It'll declare its independence in the late 1840s. But during from the 1820s way to the early 20th century, really the 1890s is the large or the last time a large group from the United States went. You have thousands um, going, mostly from the South, uh, about the same of free Blacks versus um, in enslaved or formerly enslaved people, but mostly from the South. Um, all in all, about 11,000 it always was a choice for them. So even as, um, even if they were enslaved, you know, masters couldn't force them. They could, you know, try, but you have uh, letters to the American Colonization Society where um, enslavers are saying that uh, my enslaved people refuse to, to go. They don't want to go to Africa, a place they've nev- never known or leave their love- loved ones for all type of val- valid re- reasons and stuff. And at the same time, you have those who are very much wi- willing to 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 go and um, try this new a- exper- experiment out. So over time and over the decades, um, the col- colony grows. Um, it was very painful years. Um, in the first few decades, actually throughout its history. Um, the American Colonization Society wasn't a nation like Britain. It was just an independent private organization and take and to take on the challenge of forming a new co- colony. They were always in need of funds, better equipment. Um, things could have been much more planned out and thousands of pe- pe- people died. And uh, our Kentucky's Henry Clay um, was a was a uh, a figure in that period, and 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 also, uh, if you would clarify or just comment on uh, Abraham Lincoln's knowledge of and and uh, even writings uh, uh, where where Liberia is mentioned uh, as a as what a not not a solution but a an outlet for for continuation of slavery and his involvement. Yeah, so the American Colonization Society is a national organization, but it had state auxiliaries. Um, there were, there was the Kentucky Colonization Society, the Tennessee Colonization Society. It was much more prevalent in the Upper South than the Deep South. But you also had um, count, county and uh, city auxiliaries too so it could be uh the glasgow colonization society as well and henry clay was um a leader uh clay and other uh, politicians tried unsuccessfully on a national level to try to get um funds 
for the ACS to get Congress to allocate funds to um, help just in the financing these uh, trips abroad and as an incentive to slave owners. But in the political environment of the antebellum period, remember you have uh, pro-slavery and anti-slavery people both involved. It never passed on a national level. It did sometimes in, on a state level with different states um, allocating funds, particularly in times of heightened stresses. So after Nat Turner's rebellion in the 1830s or during the 1850s um, yeah, and things like the Fugitive Slave Act or uh, so dur during these kind of moments of exigency. Sometimes a state uh, sent senates or general assemblies would al allocate state funds, but it never was enough um, to really uh, be a turning point where we see a crit critical mass going. Abraham Lincoln uh, flirted with the idea of colonization. Um, he didn't uh, he, he didn't confine himself to only thinking of uh, Africa as a destination for um, freed people. And initially, he really couldn't imagine emancipation without some type of colonization plan coupled with it. Again, you have this idea that freeing all the enslaved people at the South at once could really be detrimental to the country. So he thought it would be more digestible if um, emancipation came with a, almost a deportation element to it. So some of the areas he looked at were in Central um, America. And um, he uh, kind of researched in into these ideas, but they never came to fruition. Uh, the um, acquiring the land, getting congress congressional support was difficult, and at the same time, you had uh, black people who weren't really um, waiting around to see what happened. They were joining the Union, or they were escaping with the Union Army. Uh, as, uh, Union gen generals were some of the first to kind of uh, free or help um, enslaved people get free before the Emancipation Proc Proclamation. And so, um, yeah, those ideas never really uh, left, left the uh, planning table. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking with uh, Professor Selena Sandiford-Doss, who is a history professor from Western Kentucky University, and she's talking about black nationalism and uh, her her work, uh, her scholarly work in that area, which uh, she hopes to uh, to have a book uh, soon. Um, and we will continue our conversation with her. I'll talk to her about uh, Black History Month right after we pause for this word from Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills 
highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Professor Doss, when do you remember Black History Month in your life? Uh, I remember Black History Month as a child growing up in elementary school. It was um, taught, uh, it was emphasized, uh, of course, Martin Luther King was uh, was um, a big deal. Of course, he still still is, but Martin Luther King is when we or we learned about him during Black His History Month. So, um, and the civs and the civil rights movement. So, uh, some of my earliest memories in school, I'll say about the third or fourth grade, is when I first encountered Black History during the month of Feb- February. We would have, of course, posters and. Uh, significant people, Martin Luther King, Fred, Frederick Doug, Douglass, but a lot of Martin Luther King <laughs> during Black History Month. <laughs> Some of my earliest memories. Black History Month was official, uh, official uh, long before uh, we had a Martin Luther King Day or, or even a Martin Luther King. Um, but I would imagine uh, you thought it mattered then. You were learning um, a, a great deal, and I, I, I uh, would dare say that you think the same today, that it is an important reflection that we should all make. Um, and uh, uh, the argument is often made that it's not just a month. It should be 12 months, uh, th- that we should have uh, black hair. So, so. Talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah. So um, initially, Black History Month, um, so it was founded by Carter G. Woodson, a great historian. Um, It started out as Black History Week, and then eventually it was changed to uh, Black History Month. Um, Carter G. Woodson was the founder of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. Uh, the Journal of ne- Negro His History, and so uh, he created, you know, this um, this week, this month. But in his life, you know, this was a lifelong uh, passion, and year round, uh, he's his work was to place um, Black history at the center of um, American history. But along with people like uh, Martin Luther King, we learned about other people. Uh, I would call them fa- fairly um, well-known people like George Washington Carver, uh, Rose Rosa Parks, and uh, these kind of no- notable men and w- women that made up Black history. It wasn't until... <sighs> Dare I say college? Um, 
that I started to know kind of the lesser known people in Black history. And I'm reluctant to say it, but going into college, I didn't sign up for African-American his, history courses. I I thought I knew knew it. You know, I, I had learned about, about Black his, History Month each month <laughs> during school, and I knew the civil rights movement and slavery. And what what else was was there? So I signed up for a lot of um, African his history courses, and that was my first interest. But uh, I went to Fisk University, and uh, I was so wrong and such such a uh, just new newbie to it. But um, and I I like to say about Fisk University, we had to carry W. E. B. Du Bois's uh, book the souls of black folk in our pockets at all times just because we were just taught about w-e-e-b du bois so so much but learn, learn, learning about him and book, booker t washington and learn, learning about uh like fanny lou hamer and uh uh a phil, phil philip randolph you, you know these people i had never never heard of but also um these smaller, more intimate stories. And I realized there was so much that hadn't been told that I did, didn't know. And my professor at Fisk, uh, Linda Wynn, she told us, she um, told her students, you know, to look in their own backyards to, you know, for history. I had Again, I was really interested in Af- Africa, and I and I still am. I, I've been like that uh, since um, mid, mid middle school, in, interested in Africa. Uh, but I looked in my own backyard. I remember one of my first papers that I really enjoyed writing. I, um, the, uh, Don, Donald Wright, the historian of Africa, who wrote a book, "The World and a Small Place in Africa," and he looked at. Uh, a small vi- village in the G- Gambia and how uh, it was affected by different events in world history. And um, I decided to look at my family's uh, hometown in Athens, Alabama, and how the the experience in Athens, Alabama during different national uh, movements, events, whether it was the civil rights movement or um anti-busing and things like that. So I think the name of that paper was the U.S. and a small place in Alabama. But looking at that local history, it ignited something in me. And so um, I take that lesson that Black history isn't all just about uh, the big names or the notable people. And, you know, you think you may know the basic story but when you look um in your own backyard in places like logan county and uh the seek museum there they're uh um really trying to place at the forefront these voices who uh these black voices and experience that have really been left by the wayside, but placed them at the forefront of Logan County history. So within Logan County, you have um, 
freedmen set, set settlements, you have a colonization movement, you have a rich black history of um, black uh, schools. You also have um, a darker history of lynchings and things. So all of these bigger events that we see in the nation, we can find them within our own histories and our local history. So that's the significance that has come to mean to me now. Our own backyard. Um, as we wrap up, I, I just, um, I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, William Wells Brown and his legacy. Uh, he's uh, one of our uh, most talented uh, Chautauqua uh, characters uh, performed so uh, ably by Vir- Virgil Covington and for his life to unfold. But you continue to learn about uh, these people first from uh, maybe uh, at one time I thought uh, all he did was write the first novel by a uh, an African-American, Clotel, um, and then to learn more about his life, uh, his name and change and all of that from from Virgil's performance. And then uh, to learn just recently, uh, and, you know, I've been around a long time and, and you, it, it's a good lesson that you can always learn more and you can always study and research more. That William Wells Brown was a uh, could could have been, uh, according to some experts, on the same plane as Frederick Douglass, if all of his papers and and work had been salvaged and saved, and there there's just not that uh, evidence. Uh, although he accomplished so much, uh, became a medical doctor on top of all of his literary. Uh, aspirations and goals uh, and and achievements. So, um, Black History Month, I think, uh, gives us all an opportunity, if we haven't done it before, to really uh, take a deep dive into maybe some uh, figures and movements that we we aren't familiar with. Yeah, what we think we know, uh, there's so much more to it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, Professor Doss, uh, we're, we're so glad to have you as our guest, and we're so proud to have you as a, uh, a new board member of Kentucky Humanities. We uh, look forward to uh, you bringing uh, your scholarship, your your interest, um, and uh, your uh, character uh, to our board and, and to the things we do across the state of Kentucky. So all I can do today uh, in summing up is just to say thank you very much. And thank, thank you, Bill. I really in, in enjoyed our com- conversation. Thanks for having me on. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.